You're listening to the Accessibility Corner on Dialogue Radio Network with your host George Zavala. The Accessibility Corner will provide you with topics and resources for our local community of people with disabilities. The Accessibility Corner is brought to you by the law offices of Stephanie Townsend Alala and Associates. So, here we go 10, 9, 8, 7, 6, 5, 4, 3, 2, 1. Let's get the party started. Welcome everyone to the Accessibility Corner here on Dialogue Radio Network. Today is January the 13th. I like how my, my mentor here, Mr. Abel, says, and this green marble. See, I listen to you, Dave. <laughs> uh, well, everyone, welcome to the show. And today we're going to be uh, having uh, two topics. Uh, we're going to be talking about what happened. This is an incident that happened in Maryland that came on Facebook. And then later on, we'll have an interview with Ms. Veronica Heredia from Valar Seal. But before we start everything, first of all, thank you, Ms. Stephanie Townsend Yala, for being a sponsor of the show. And also, um, good morning to everyone in this beautiful uh, Saturday morning. So before we start, uh, first of all, hi, Mr. Abel and Mr. Good Lennon. morning, George. How are you doing? Oh, I'm doing good. I just, uh, I'm kind of late because I had to comb my hair pretty good, so, you know, that's why I was kind of late, so. <laughs> but anyways, before we start the show, I want to, I came across this thing called the Accessibility or the Accessibility Minute. And it, what it does, it gives you, um, like, little updates on technology and software is out there for persons with disabilities. So I'm going to try, try to do that every week. Um, the first one is uh, regarding a, a migraine, a migraine headache app. So if you can, Mr. Abel, can we go ahead and play that? You want you want to do the, the minute first? Yes, sir. Okay, hold on. Let me find And you got, can you like this? There's a website at the end of the, of the clip. They'll tell you where to go if you want more information. But uh, it's, it's really good information. I've been hearing it for two or three months. So that's going to be a good resource for you also to look into. Welcome to Accessibility Minute, your weekly look at assistive technology. Those clever tools and devices designed to help people who have difficulties with vision, mobility, hearing, or other special needs. In recent months, I've been experiencing migraines at least a couple times a week. If you also experience frequent migraines, check out the Migraine Alert app on the App Store. The Migraine Alert app predicts the frequency of a migraine so that you can try to stop it before it begins. The app uses a data science algorithm to create a personalized migraine forecast based on your uncontrollable triggers such as the weather. After you record about 15 migraines, the app presents you with a personalized migraine forecast multiple times a day. Features of the Migraine Alert app include the Migraine Forecast, which allows you to take action to prevent a migraine. Weather conditions such as temperature, humidity, pressure, and more are automatically tracked in the background and are based on your location. Migraine History allows you to track, edit, and share your migraines with your physician. All information is stored anonymously within the app. Visit SoMobileHealth.com to learn more. For more information, to read our blog, or to drop us a line, visit EasterSealsTech.com. That was your Accessibility Minute for this week. I'm Laura Metcalf with the Indata Project at Easter Seals Crossroads in Indiana. So, everyone, I hope you look to that website and kind of look out the, the different stuff they have on there. Most of the audio is on there. Just click on it and you'll play it. So, going forward with the show, I was going to talk about just recently, I think it was Wednesday, about uh, the federal government found that the Texas uh, Education uh, Agency has had been 
deliberately capping services for children, for students with disabilities, and they actually generated out of Houston, the districts, the school districts in Houston. I was going to talk about that, but in this story hit, I believe on Thursday, where we're going to talk about. So maybe if we have time, we'll go back to it. If not, you know, less for next week. But and this thing happened in Maryland. Now we're going to play a clip of the doctor who actually found, or the therapist who actually found this individual outside in the cold, folks. And just to give you, a listeners, a picture, um, a visual picture, is a young, a young lady. She was out in the cold, like, I want to say 30-degree weather, um, only wearing a house, hospital gown. That's it, and socks. Her clothes were next to her on some bags in the, on the bus stop. And this was, I have been doing some research, and this is called the hospital dumping. And then, you know what? I thought, you know, well, this is a unique, you know, situation. But no, actually, in May of last year in, in Howard University, <clears throat> where two, I think, I believe three officers and their, and their captain were actually uh, uh, fired because they actually did the same thing. They actually had someone uh, that was having a, a psycho uh, episode or a psychosis, and they actually took him out of the, the waiting room or the emergency room and actually literally dumped them on the sidewalk in this video. I haven't been able to find it. The one in Maryland or in, uh, in uh, Howard University um, in May, the, the, the patient, uh, a woman, actually fell on the ground and they're laughing. So it just shows you, I don't know, you know, is this an indictment on the healthcare situation here in the United States regarding mental health? Maybe so, because I've heard of, uh, many stories like here in El Paso I think the only really resource here in the past is emergence. But other than that, there's no really mechanism to help those that have a mental, or having a mental health issue. And for me, that's kind of sad because for like people like in my situation, where my disability is obvious, I walk with a cane and, or a service animal or in a wheelchair or, or whatnot. Those are obvious. But when you have, for example, uh, some kind of, uh, mental health issue, you automatically put into that category of well, they're they're crazy, or they're dumb. And like this poor woman, you know, she had to go through this. <clears throat> she, they probably thought the hospital uh, that you know nobody can you know care about her because she's crazy. And and they, I put I did put it. There's three videos. The one we're gonna play uh, is uh, the audio. It's one of the last videos, but there's three of them. Go ahead to the website or to uh, Facebook and look for the Accessibility Corner. I put it on there, the three, the three videos. And you'll see the first one shows her when the therapist approaches her uh, in the way she's acting. The second one, I believe, is when they're waiting for the ambulance. And then the one we're going to hear is the actual uh, the, the narrative by the, the therapist of what he encountered. So can we go ahead and play that, Mr. Um, Abel? Or Okay, here, here's the follow-up of what I've just experienced. There was a young lady who the hospital, the, one of the local hospitals here in the city, discharged on the street, meaning that they wheeled her out here in a wheelchair. Now, this is the ambulance that's, that's going by, and I'm assuming that they are going to take her back to the hospital that irresponsibly discharged her and left her here on this bench with nothing but a hospital gown on and her clothing sitting beside her. Now, when I say she has had no clothes on, she literally had just a hospital gown on, no underwear, and it is at least 30 or colder degrees out here. So the, the, the idea that they are going to take her back to the hospital where security discharged her, that is, that is so 
irresponsible of not only this ambulance, but also the hospital, when clearly there are some issues that are happening to this young lady. So here I am on the corner of Howard, well, I'm on Howard and at the ambulance entrance of this hospital. And there is the ambulance behind me, and I'm, I'm really wondering if this is going to be the end result. Now, she's not a patient of mine. I, as you, I'm a psychotherapist here in the city, and clearly there are some mental health issues uh, that, uh, that appear to be going on with this individual. So the, the idea that they're discharging her, if she's unruly, which appears to be what one of the gentlemen sort of suggested, that's reason to involuntarily commit her to the behavioral health of psych ward here at the hospital until they're clear about what's happening. You can't expect those with mental health issues to be pleasant because they're ill. So I am still looking at this and I am really wondering as to what's going to happen here. I'm disgusted by the display or the lack of empathy that I am seeing displayed not only by the individuals who are driving this ambulance because they were just a matter of fact, they had a matter of fact tone and I did not want to get them on camera without their permission um, because they were coming to help. But it, it just appears as though, as I was talking to the ambulance driver, that this is a norm where individuals who are unruly are left on the street to sort of fend for themselves. I'll bring you more once I find out more. So the gentleman talking is Mr. Uh, Baraka. I did try to reach out to him to Messenger to see if there's an update. I checked his uh, his timeline there. As of last night, there's no real, real update. And you know what's really disturbing, folks, is that the security, there's, I believe, two of them, they, they have no conscience. I mean, how can you literally leave, leave someone out in the cold just to fend for themselves. Now, I'm going to use common sense here. It's called constructive knowledge. If you have someone that's either belligerent or you see his physical uh, tone of maybe having a psychosis or something like that, you would think, you know what, let's do some more examinations. Maybe it was a head trauma. Maybe they're suffering some kind of seizure or something. But just don't kick them out. And the reason why I bet you is because of health care, the expense. They probably um, don't want to have, you know, engage to this patient and find out what the issue is so we'll just kick her out and like i said it's not an isolated issue it's just called actually term is hospital dumping and think about it one of these days someone we know it's going to happen they're going to fall ill they're going to go to the hospital for themselves and god knows how long how what kind of treatment they're going to get from the hospital and that's scary nowadays in 2018 and before i, I want to ask mr abel and leonard what, what, what's your perspective on this issue i mean having know that this is happening i have a uh, mental health uh issues uh in, in not in my family directly but uh i i've seen them in, in in my extended family and uh it's very first of all it's very depressing especially when it happens to a younger person um I, I, I've seen some things, you know, you used to make fun of uh, Thomason Hospital, the fourth floor. You used yes. to hear that all the time and stuff. And and uh, I don't I don't think we have anywhere. We don't we, we have not controlled it the way we should. America has a bad history of uh, dealing with mental illness. Well, you're going back. I'm glad you said that. Now, I, I forgot to mention this. 
going back in history, uh, April, like we go and Leonard, we talk about history a lot. Going back in history, listeners, someone with a disability back in the late 1800s, early 1900s, they were actually institutionalized. Someone like me, I would be in an institution just because I'm blind. And, you know, and granted, we're being progressed to the, to the point we're at now. But does this tell us a little bit of what we're at, the state of mind where we're at now regarding a disability? The perception of this person is just a throwaway a garment or, or a person that nobody could care about? And that's, seeing issues like this is what makes me, uh, puts that fire in my butt to be an advocate. Because now, Mr. Baraka, I guarantee you what, that hospital hopefully will be sued for negligent or irresponsibly um, discharging this patient. I mean, think about it, folks. A human being, you're just going to kick them out, 30-degree weather, and just say, you know what, fend for yourself. And luckily, Mr. Baraka... Uh, founders or saw her and they I don't know if this is by coincidence but they did it at night hmm I wonder why they did it at night what do you think Abel? because hmm. the devil travels at night uh, and so they didn't seem to be able to see her that's what I'm telling you folks disability when you discriminate you never know who they know or what's going to pop up it might come back and the blowback the blowback on this has been international now and that's what I understood and then um, but I really haven't heard it on the news per se like CNN or or Fox or NBC or anything like that. Have you? Able, I, I, I I didn't hear about it till you uh, you brought it up and and I saw what was going on. I was um, I was tagged by a friend of mine. She's her name is Joe Jacobs. She's in I believe I could be wrong, Miss Jacobs. You're listening. Sorry, I think she's in Florida, but she tagged me in that or she she uh, posted on her timeline. And but the thing is that it just tells you, like I said, is this an indictment? I don't know. You call in. The number here is nine one five six zero three. 5176 and kind of give your what you think of this uh, notion is it isolated have you seen it do you know someone that suffers with a mental health issue now there's two different things when I say mental health and in intellectual disability intellectual disability could go into the range of autism uh, um, uh, I forgot the other one um, oh lord I went blank sorry about that and then mental health issues could be polar, bipolar schizophrenia and all it is all the mental health issue is a chemical imbalance. And sometimes it's treated through, through medications. and they, uh, Through more chemicals. Through more chemicals, <laughs> yeah. And the patient is, more, is able to stabilize. Or, if not, unfortunately, they have to be institutionalized for their safety. And I'll tell you why. Well, I will tell you that uh, if you were talking about mental health history in America, I mean, uh, where did the phrase frontal lobotomy come from? Yep. You know, How about uh, electrocuting people? Uh, to try to like kill that bit, what they thought was the bad part of their brain off. That was the norm. That was the norm that was prescribed by the physician, and now we see that as barbaric, right? But that's how we have progressed. But still, if you don't go beyond that perception or that thought or that think flow of, you know what, they're having, they're drunk. I bet you that's what they thought. Or she's just crazy. Or just, you know. But that's, I just fathom, I'm, I'm fathom that this happens in 2018 to this. In, in America, I can understand third world countries, but in America, but sometimes all at the end of the day, all accounts is the money. Well, know? not only that, George, but uh, the fact of the matter is that uh, there are, just like in any other profession, good caretakers and bad caretakers. Yep. You know, it's, uh, uh, and unfortunately, you know, um, for example, uh, so you have a caretaker taking somebody, taking care of somebody who's mental. And, and and if they're not into their job, 
they get to this person's house and then they start wondering how they can rip them off. And this happened. As a matter of fact, I was seeing an article. Um, I think it came out yesterday. And um, I think it was by CNN that says they have done a study. And I mean, to me, it's obvious. But the persons, especially women with disabilities, had a higher rate of, of being sexually assaulted. And to me, that makes sense because sometimes they cannot fend for themselves. For example, if they use a wheelchair or they use a walker or they just can't move. And I've seen it, I've heard it, and unfortunately that's part of our society that you will have those, those vultures that will see someone like me and walk in the street and try to rob me. But unfortunately, but unbeknownst to them, some of us can defend ourselves. I mean, even though I'm blind, but you know what? If I grab you and my, and my uh, grappling issues, uh, techniques kick in, guess what? You're going to work a bulk or in the hospital. But the point is that, but there's people that can fend for themselves. Like what happened this past Thursday. She was just literally left out there and without her... In her without no, any underwear. Yep. Just socks and her just, You know, how can you be a medical professional? My father was in the medical profession and he always said the patient comes first. Yep. And if we're, if we're just going to look at each other like animals, well, you know, we deserve the fate that we get. Or, we, or they see us as numbers, or you know, you're this number, or you're patient number, whatever. But they don't see the human aspect of it. And then that goes into every aspect of healthcare, nursing homes, especially nursing homes, health, the mental health issues, caring the like you said, Mr. Um, Abel, the caregivers. Sometimes these caregivers just have a job because they want it, or they want to uh, uh, go on to these uh, vulnerable people. When I say vulnerable, let me clarify. I'm not vulnerable, but there are some people that are, are bedbound where they can't move. They had a stroke. They can't fend for themselves. They have to have literally have to have someone cook for them, feed them. I've seen it, folks, and, and it's out there. But it's for us to be vigilant. If we see it, report it. Just don't say, "Oh, I want to get involved." Like this, Mr. Baraka did. He saw it. He got involved. Maybe he's a psychotherapist. He has that that heart. But he got involved, and now this is worldwide, it's nation, you know, it's international, like this is a big thing, but it's not. Unfortunately, it's called hospital dumping. And I believe, I, can't, I won't doubt it if it happens here in El Paso, because I've heard stories. I've heard stories, and you know, you hear second-hand stories, you're like, mm, whatever. But when you actually see it, when it's validated, I'm kind of, um, I took a test one time uh, uh, when I was in psychology. I had to, I'm a logical person. You have to show it to me to, for it to be logical, right? Or for right. me, it has to be tangible. So when I saw that, I'm like, yep, it's true. So hopefully, with this kind of dialogue, uh, we can have that kind of exposure to, now that you're in, around the hospital, you see someone in distress, go to them. Now, if you don't say feel safe, call the, call the police. You know, don't just say, oh, they're crazy. Because there's a lot of health uh, veterans. There's well, the first thing they do, unfortunately, is uh, call the police. And then that turns out to have a bad outcome. Because a lot of times, uh, the police end up shooting them and killing them. Yep. It's happened here in El Paso. It's happened twice here. That I know of here in El Paso. One in Central El Paso, the man was having that team. He was bipolar. He came out. And he had a weapon. And they and the people are yelling at the police officers from across the street. He's he's having an episode. He's having an episode, and you would think they would have different tactics, different techniques, of how to approach, which they do. They have uh, different what they call the three prong approach. They have either the handcuff, their their um, knife stick, their weapon, uh, their um, taser. taser. They have all these options, but yet they took out their weapon and they killed this man. He was in his thirties. And I, I understand he had a weapon. He had, I think he had a knife in his hand. But 
that's what I don't understand. And, and granted, I'm not a, on the field. I'm, you know, I'm, on, the, on the boots, so to speak. Uh-huh. And, uh, but the thing is, to me, sometimes it just baffles me that police automatically want to shoot someone instead of having that dialogue. For example, I'll tell you when I saw one on Facebook. This young man, he was uh, 14 years old. He had autism. And he was walking the street, and actually he has had escaped from his sister. His sister was taking care of him. So the young man was walking down the street. He was very, he had a, he was not, he was nonverbal, but he had very little verbal skills. And, but he, but sometimes people with autism, they have patterns or techniques they do over and over. Like, for example, they might mess with their hands, they might mess with their hair. It's just a technique or a, a, a pattern they have, which is, you know, that's part of their, their, their body, you know, part of their personality, which is no problem. So this man walking down the street, young man, police officer stops him, it's all on camera. And he approaches this young man and he tells him, Where are you, you know, what are you doing? So they see this man playing with his, this young kid playing with his hands and he's like, put your hands in your pocket or don't quit doing that. But this young man, he doesn't understand or he can't verbal communic- or verbally communicate with the police officer. So guess what? The policeman jumps on him, chases him, handcuffs him while his sister comes yelling, crying that, you know, leave him alone, he has autism. And the cop still doesn't believe him. And as you could tell, just by the way he's saying, that, what did I do? Who are you? What are you doing? Stuff like that is just indicators that common sense. I get it. There's police officers. There's nurses. There's doctors that see this on a daily basis. They kind of get, get um, numb to it. But at the end of the day, they have to understand that every individual is different. Every individual is different, no matter what their their um, disability is or mental health issue. The same thing. I know you always, uh, you know, uh, you're a big stickler for training uh, of you know how for uh, enforcement officers to deal with uh, people of disability. Yes. You know, um, it's, it's, we started that. Now, when I say we, you know, unfortunately, for some weird reason, the academy has not been using this type of uh, training. And even the sheriff's department, they have, I guess, uh, just three years for the sheriff's department. <clears throat> so we came in, we asked the city to, to bring that forward regarding uh, sensitivity training with the police department. They're doing that now. Um, I participated at least two of them last year. And what it is, is to let the officer, the candidate, or the cadet know that if you see these little um, indicators like a service animal or my cane or a wheelchair, that's you should follow some certain certain procedures or policies. Now, for example, if someone comes up to me, I'm blind, and they say, "Sir, we need to talk to you." I don't know they're talking to me, and I have my cane put away because it's a fold-up cane. How are they going to do it? Are they going to attack me? Are they going to shoot me? Are they going to tase me? Maybe so. So that's why it's important to have that dialogue with the police officers, so they kind of have that in the back of their head. Maybe this gentleman has a disability where he can't hear me. Or he can't see me. Or he can't feel me. So that's why it's very important. Education, Abel Leonard, is very important. Education is empowerment to both us, people with disabilities, and the general public. Because it helps us have that dialogue of we're on the same page. And they understand. Like me now, if I encounter someone with a TBI, which is a traumatic brain injury, or autism, which I can't see, no, I can't see the indicators, now I understand if a child has uh, a meltdown. They're not, oh, they're, they're a brat. No, they're having this part of the, of the autism. And I understand that. And it, it, you have to cope with that. But when you don't know, 
you're automatically, your first indication is this kid's a brat. Or you see someone with a TBI, and you're like, they're weird. I don't want to be around them. But when you get to understand them, because unfortunately, someone with a TBI, their short-term memory is very, is, is non-existent. They can remember stuff from 20 years ago, but sometimes they, they lose their keys, they lose their, their phone on a daily basis. So that's what we, when you understand that, you're like, okay, how can I help you? Maybe there's some type of um, practices or procedures we could do, some techniques that could help you not to forget that. Uh, I guess that comes because I'm a job coach also. Uh, so let's do something to help you, not just sit there and, how you're dumb or you're stupid, you're always, you're always losing stuff. But it's not it. That's why I'm also, uh, like you say, Abel, I'm also into big into educating. Providing that training to the general public from someone with a disability. I don't know everything, but I'll give you my life experience. Again, if you want to chime in and just start this dialogue, uh, number is 915-603-5176. We're going to take a break, and we'll be back to the Accessibility Corner here on Dialogue Radio Network. I'm Stephanie Townsend Iala. At the law firm of Stephanie Townsend Iala and Associates, our attorneys, including Jennifer Coulter and my own daughter, Jessica Clute, fight for the nursing home and home health care rights of the elderly and disabled. I'm attorney Jessica Clute. The law firm of Stephanie Townsend Iala also specializes in estate planning, probate, trusts, wills, powers of attorney, nursing home advocacy, Medicaid asset protection, and guardianships. Call us at 533-0007. Everyone, welcome back to the Accessibility Corner here on Dialogue Radio Network. Sorry, folks, I was dancing to that. Uh-huh. <laughs> that was some cool music. So before we go forward, I do want to. This week, I had the the opportunity to to interview Ms. Veronica Hedelia. She's a program manager there at um, or coordinator program coordinator manager at the Valar, and we were talking about the independent living skills program they have. So it's it's a good 15, 15 minute interview. So we're going to play that, and we have to come back. We're going to talk more on what happened in Maryland. All right, Mr. Abel, I guess we'll go ahead and play that video or that audio. For taking the time to do this interview regarding the services available at Valar uh, Seal, um, first of all, um, Ms. Hedelia, um, can you kind of give us a little background on yourself, please? Sure. Um, I've been here at Volar. I started here. I started my internship here in uh, 2014. And I did my internship again 2014-2015, and then um, I started as an assistant in uh, February of 2016. Then September of 2016, I became a coordinator, and this last September of 2017, I am now the program manager for the Independent Living Services Program. Oh, wow. And the program, uh, mm-hmm. the Independent Living Program, that's geared for, for which age group? Um, the independent living services program is for all age groups. Um, what we do, what it is, is that it's the program that used to be with DARS before. It was the IELTS program with DARS. So we assist consumers in the purchasing of 
if they need um, hearing aids, um, any uh, wheelchairs, walkers, home modifications, vehicle modifications, prosthetics, we help them, we assist them in the purchase of that, with the purchase of that. What they do is they pay a small cost participation and then we pick up the rest of the bill. And is there like a qualifier? Is there like an income qualifier? Is there certain? Um, no, well, you know, a lot of people do ask us that if it's their income that qualifies. It's not their income that makes them eligible for the program. What makes them eligible for the program is that there is their disability. Is their disability um, impeding them from living an independent life? You know, is it keeping them, you know, if they are unable to, for example, if they're unable to go to the store because their wheelchair doesn't, the batteries in the wheelchair doesn't work. Well, then we would go ahead and we would go in and we would see, okay, well, is it cheaper to fix your wheelchair or is it better to just buy you another wheelchair? And so then we, so that's kind of like the thing that we do. Like the income, what we do with the income is if they, we got to, because they have to pay the cost participation. So we ask them to bring in um, any benefit, the whole household income. And then um, deductions that we allow is any medical expenses, um, any rent or mortgage, if they pay any attendant care, also um, if they pay child support, we allow that as well. So we deduct that, and then that's where we determine how much their per, uh, participation is going to be. Oh, wow, even child support, that's, that's different, okay. Now, mm -hmm. when it comes yes. to, so is it open to who, the county, or who is it particularly open to? Uh, yes, uh -huh, yes, it's open to the county. They have to be Texas residents because we have had some – um, we have had some individuals call us, and they're in Chaparral, New Mexico, and we can't. We have. They have to be a Texas resident. They have to show us proof that they do reside in Texas. We go as far as Pecos, so we can. Mm -hmm. So we're like they've been planned. Oh, that's right. You do go out there. That's in Pecos. Is in Hubson County, Hubson County, or no? Yes. Mm -hmm. Oh, wow, I go out there. I think it. Is. I think it is. Yeah. Um, so the age group again, what is it from? Or what age, what age um, any age group. Oh, I mean, age. any any age group, any age. Mm -hmm. and any yeah, age? we help with any age. And, and unless um, if they're blind, blind services, we assist with under 55. And if they're over 55, then they would go to the OIB program at the Texas Workforce, which is older individuals who are blind. So they would go over there. So like someone needs a white cane or O&M training, would you guys do that? Yes. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that would be here with us. Now, to participate, Ms. Hales, do they, um, how did the process, who do they contact or what? Um, to participate, they would contact, um, they would contact me, Veronica Heredia, here at Volar, uh, 5910800. And um, usually when they contact me, I just kind of get like just the basic information what it is that they're looking for, what is it they're wanting, if they have insurance and stuff like that, basic demographics. And then I will disseminate it to my two coordinators and then they will call them. Sometimes if we have, we have consumers who are homebound or it's just really hard for them to get a ride over here. So we do do home visits. We'll go to their home and do the initial intake there as well. And what's the time period like for, from the initial intake to like the, let's say the visit or the, or when they come into the, What's well, from from the initial, well, as soon as I get the information, I I give it to the coordinator the very next day. The very next day, I'll give it to the coordinator, and then the coordinator will contact them, make the appointment, and then usually when they contact and make the appointment, then we have to send them to get an assessment, or sometimes we need medical records showing a diagnosis of disability. So, um, but in the meantime, we can get like if they need a wheelchair or a lift chair, 
we would call one of our providers and they would go out and do an assessment and see like, okay, do, if, see if they have enough mobility and if they have the strength to be able to get on the lift chair, what kind of lift chair would be best for them. And then we do have to try and attempt comparable benefits. So we try and get, um, like if they have an insurance, we do have to attempt to bill their insurance and say the insurance pays $300. Then whatever the remainder is, then we tell the, the consumer, okay, so the remainder is $400. Your insurance is paying $300. So we're going to split the $400. Like depending on the $400, that's where your cost participation comes out. If they're responsible for 1%, then they will only pay the $40 and we will pick up the rest of it. Wow. That's not bad at usually all. Usually what takes, usually what takes a while is the insurance, you know, cause we have to wait and bill the insurance and that's usually sometimes what takes a while. But as soon as we get that approval or denial letter from the insurance, it's just, they just bring in their cost participation. And then once we get the cost participation, then we can go ahead and order their DMEs. Now, when you, when you say insurance, does that, that mean private or that mean Medicaid, Medicare? Um, anything, Medicaid, Medicare, any of them. Even if we know that Medicare does not cover it or Medicaid does not cover it, we still have to have some kind of denial letter in our records just to show that we did attempt to collect, uh, to use a comparable benefit. No, no, that makes sense because at the end of the day, mm-hmm. you're gonna, the grant's going to run out of money, so that makes more sense. Yes, and you know, sometimes when, when consumers hear cost participation, they're like, oh, no, 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 I'm, I, can't, I don't have any money to pay, you know? But it's not, I mean, in this, especially in this area, you know, in our border town, in our little lovely border town, you know, a lot of people here, we, I mean, we don't make, you know, we don't, we're not like way up on the, because we go through, it's a website, it's, um, it's good, it determines like the part where they are in the poverty level. Okay. So a lot of those people, I mean, I, one time I've had someone pay 2% of their hearing aids. And I think other than maybe like one other time I saw someone pay 5% on something else. But for the most part, it's all 1%. I mean, think about it. If it's $2,000, mm-hmm. you're paying 1%, 2%. That's that's a lot better. I guarantee that. Yes. You know? Mm-hmm. Yes. And what are your hours? At yeah. Um, we're here Monday through Friday, 8 to 5. Um, you do like around holidays and stuff. We do prefer that you call and see like what time we're here on the holidays. Because we have, we do get all the, like, the national holiday, the federal holidays, we do have those as well. Oh, like Monday, right? Monday you're off? Yes, yeah, which is this. perfect because Tuesday is my birthday, so I always get that day off. Oh, perfect. <laughs> <laughs> now, if, yeah. So if, they, if you're not there, can they just leave a message or can they talk to someone else? Uh, sure, they can leave a message or they can talk to the other coordinators. Um, Miguel Palomar, he is one of our coordinators. His assistant is uh, Violet Garcia. Um, my assistant is Marcela Aragon. They can ask for any of those. We're currently in the process of getting another coordinator because one of our coordinators, he's retiring. So we're in the process of um, hiring another coordinator as well. Okay. So the phone number that can contact but, is, is uh, 915-591-0800? Correct. Mm-hmm. And, that, can they call and we also waiting? have our Facebook page. They can even email, send a message on the Facebook page, and we get those also. Oh, really? I didn't know that. Mm-hmm. Okay. And now yeah. can somebody walk in yeah. and talk to you or if you're in the office? Um, for the most part, sometimes I can I can see them when they walk in and try and talk to me, but it's hard if they don't make a call and make an appointment. It's hard for me to go up there and then stop because we have, like, all this other I – mean, it's a very, very busy program. So it's it's better. They have a better chance of being seen right away if they just make an appointment. 
And I've made appointments as early as 8 o'clock. And um, I've had, sometimes, you know, we have consumers that they can't come until maybe after 5. If they have, you know, they get a ride from their children or something. And sometimes we will wait. Okay. Like if they have to come, like say I can be I can be there at 5.30 or at 6. You know, okay, I'm going to go ahead and wait for you. So just let me know when you're here. Oh, that's nice. Okay. We try and make the right accommodations uh, accommodations for our consumers, you know. I treat my consumers the same way I would want someone to treat my parents or grandparents or me. Exactly right. Yes, ma'am. Amen to that. Mm-hmm. And, I, and I say uh, yes. accommodation. Accommodating someone is not only uh, good practice, but it's you know good customer service too. You know. Yes. Um, yes. Miss mm-hmm. Lydia, we haven't really spoke on and real fast. We'll do this. We haven't really spoke on the importance of independent living. What is what is that philosophy? Well, the independent living. A lot of a lot of people. Um, don't really understand like when we tell them you know oh well it's because we want them to live independently and they say oh no no they can't live alone and it's like we don't want them to live alone it's like our philosophy is independent living is controlling and directing your own life exercising the greatest degree of choice about where you live with whom you live and how you live just giving them that choice and whatever they I mean if they choose to live in an apartment okay you know what let's see what you need Let's see what accommodations we can make for you to live in your own apartment. You know, you know right, if they want to live. A lot of times, you're right. I, they, people hear that independent living, they're scared. Like, oh, I, I, you're going to make me live by myself. And it's, that's not true. Mm-hmm. That's mm-hmm. not, that's no, no, no. Not yeah, we're going to do, we're going to get, uh, do use everything that we possibly can to make you live independently. Awesome. That's you know, great. if they want to live, you know, if or we don't want them, you know, sometimes they say, you know, I just want to live in an assisted living. Okay, that's fine. But you know what? I mean, while you're there, we can help you. You know, let's get you a, a power scooter so that you don't have to wait for somebody to push you around. You can be independently on your power scooter, you know, cruising the hallways at the assisted living. Like you know, little people, things like that. Like, I, I, just for the listeners to know, I am uh, visually impaired mm-hmm. or blind. So what you're saying mm-hmm. is true because we use... I call it my cane or service animal or whatnot. Those are those are my tools to either navigate mm-hmm. or to yeah. go to my job. So, so independent living is very crucial, and I do appreciate you uh, having that program and having those resources to help those individuals. You know, mm-hmm. um, what was the youngest person you've had helped or have helped? Um, the youngest person I've seen was a four-year-old. He was a foiled. He was not a consumer of mine. He was a consumer of another coordinator here, and um, he was deaf. And he was um, he was um, him and his grandmother were crossing illegally, and they got caught, and they separated them, and so they were holding him here, and um, they didn't know how to communicate with him. Nobody, and he didn't know sign language. They didn't know how to communicate oh, wow. with him. He didn't know sign language, so they called. Um, our, at that time we had our deaf resource specialist. We don't have a deaf resource specialist in this region, unfortunately anymore. But, um, at that time they called her and she went and was slowly teaching him little signs and how to learn sign language and teaching them, you know, giving them like a sensitivity training on how to communicate, how to better communicate with him. Education. Education is always the best tool. That's for sure. Yes. Yes, indeed it is. I mean, even I get educated sometimes when I go with consumers, I see things sometimes and I'm like, oh my gosh, that's how they do that. That's so smart. Yep. Amen to that. You know, the little, I mean, little. Even me. We have one of our, one of our coordinators when we first met him, well, Mike, you know him. Mike Wellerman. Mr. Barry White. Yes, exactly. His wife. (laughs) (laughs) When we first, when I first met him, we went on a training to Lubbock. 
And um, I was worried that he was going to be having difficulty reading some of the things because we didn't really have um, any assistive technology to help him to read some of the documentation and stuff that they're going to be giving us. And I was surprised when I would see him with his phone. He had the mag- uh, he has a magnifier app. Yep. And he was just magnifying everything and just using his phone. I saw that and I was like, why wouldn't I mean, why wouldn't I think it was something so simple like that? You know, <laughs> little look, things like that, that, you know, we just learn. It's, just, it's like you say, like even me, when I come around with other friends that are blind or vision impaired and they show me things, I'm like, wow, okay, that, you know, duh. I didn't think about that, you know. So yeah. Things, you know? Or, you know, little things that you, I mean, you find a way because, I mean, you want to be independent. So you're like, you know, I'm going to find a way to do this. Yep. Something is, I mean, last night, uh, my assistant, uh, she accidentally she locked herself out of the office and she was knocking on the door and one of our coworkers who was in a wheelchair she says that she saw him and that he just kind of backed up his wheelchair and with the back of his wheelchair pushed the door thing to open the door yeah, yeah exactly you know something like that I mean he could have just sat there and been like I'm sorry I can't open the door you know but he just oh I can do this and just backed it up and let me just make my own little modification here yeah. it's, like, it's like my mom she uses um, I don't know, it's like a grabber and the other day mm-hmm. uh I was at her house and she's like, uh, Mijo, can you help me get my wheelchair or my walker? Before I knew it, she grabbed it with her, or it was her grabber and she pulled it in. I mean, it's just, I was like, wow. That's mm-hmm. pretty, you know? So, I, yeah. And I, yeah. And I do appreciate taking the time to do this little interview, Miss Hedelia. Uh, Is there anything mm-hmm. before we leave that you want to say? Uh, no, we, we do have our conference. Our annual conference is going to be coming up. We're hoping, we still haven't set a date yet. We're hoping, um, like near the end, maybe the end of October. So it could be kind of around the time that we have our um, youth leadership forum as well. So we'll be we'll be keeping you posted on that on that date. Oh, that's right. And you're the you're the coordinator for that now, right? Yes, I became the coordinator for that this year. It's been a, it was it was a great year last year. Yes, ma'am. And then this year I'll be participating. Yes. And I'll just for full disclosure for the listeners, I am uh, also on the board of mm-hmm. directors for Valar. So yes, and that's that's awesome. Yeah, that's, that's great. It's gonna, it's gonna be a great mind to add to that. I hope It'd be so. A great asset. I know it. Even though, even though recently I was diagnosed with TCS, so it's a terminal case of the stupids, but that's all right. Oh uh, no. <laughs> anyway, Ms. it's okay because we will help you. We will help you work through that. <laughs> modifications. That's what I'll take. Um, yeah, I'm sure we'll get you some modifications. We can draw some pictures or whatever you need. <laughs> exactly. So, Ms. Hedelia, I appreciate you taking the time to take the interview for the accessibility corner. You're always welcome to come on mm-hmm. to the show when you have. Uh, we have, just for the listeners' sake, uh, we have moved to Saturday. That's why we're doing the interview over the phone. But uh, if you mm-hmm. want to come online, then just let me know. You're, you're more welcome to come on. All right. Awesome. Thank you so much. Thank you guys for having me. Okay. So you've been listening to the Accessibility Corner, and we're going to go, go ahead and go back to the show. Well, everyone, I hope you liked that interview and really reach out to Ms. Hedelia. They do have a lot of great services. And, of course, uh, like she was saying, the, the cost is very minimum. So it's the cost participation portion, like one to one percent, to two percent, to five percent. So reach out to her. Number is five nine one or nine one five five nine one zero eight zero zero. And also, before I forget, just to let everyone know, also that this Tuesday is going to be the Citizens Advisory Meeting for the Mass Transit Board. Um, we do have topics that do relate to the fixed route, which is the regular bus route, and also the paratransit, which is the lift. And I think this this topic or this agenda covers the arena or the um, trolleys, uh, those famous trolleys, um, <laughs> onboard audible signals or uh, annunciation system. So it does relate to persons with disabilities. It's going to be this Tuesday at 2 to 4 p.m. at the Sun Metro uh, POC or TOC facility, which is a transportation operations center at 10151 Montana. 
is from two to four, and there is an open comment portion or open to the public where you're allowed to speak to the Sun Metro management. Director's there, the paratransit management is there, so it's your opportunity to let your voice be heard if you have an issue with transportation. Um, but before we go, I do want to go back a little bit more. We were talking earlier about the, the incident about the hospital dumping. Um, please, people, when you're out on the streets, you see someone, anyone that you feel may be in distress, someone that's, uh, have a visual impairment or someone that's using the wheelchair, or someone reach out to them. You know, if you don't have to really interact with them, you don't feel comfortable. But you at least call the police and you know what, this person's having an issue. And I'll tell you why. The other day I went to visit my mom and uh, I got lost. My wife, you know, I couldn't hear her and it was windy. When it's windy, I, I'm also blind and deaf. I can't hear that good when it's windy. So I'm walking towards the house and I got lost towards my mom's house and this man comes out. He was next door smoking a cigarette. He says, can I help you? I'm like, you know what, I just got lost a little bit my... GPS got thrown off. She starts laughing. And he took me to the back area. But what I'm trying to say, just reach out. That's all it is. Just be human nature and be a good Samaritan if you see that. Uh, because sometimes we do get lost. We do have our bad days. You know, we might have an issue regarding uh, medication and whatnot. So just like I said, just reach out to us. And by the way, Hector, or I'm um, Hector. Um, Whoa. Uh, well, let me tell you why. Abel, First I met, of all, I'm not that dark. No, no. The reason <laughs> I said Hector is because uh, it's funny enough. Um, when the paramedics showed up, unfortunately I had to call a, the ambulance with my mom. She's doing great now. But uh, when I was standing there, one of the gentlemen just were talking. I was talking to him. And he was like, "You're Abel's friend, aren't you?" I go, "Yes." He goes, "Oh, I'm Hector XXX." He goes, "Um, I, I listen to you guys." I'm like, "Oh, wow, we do have listeners." So let's see, Abel, we do have listeners out there. I, I know we do. You know, yeah. I just. I just need one to call every once in a while and say he loves me. There you go. <laughs> <laughs> or it's call here too. So like I said, if you ever want to call in the future, the number is 915 from my, my show and also for Abel Rodriguez. He has a show from 9 to 11. And it's 915-603-5176. But going back to um, Ms. Heredia, um, they also have what, I'm going to try to bring on Marsa Chu in the interview. They have what's called a landing closet at Villar. Um, that closet what they do, they have, for example, if someone had passed away, they have supplies, medical supplies, like diapers, catheters, wheelchairs, they'll donate it. And what uh, Valar would do, if you need that, reach out to them, and they'll say, you know, you know what, my mom, my dad, I'll, I need it, I need a wheelchair, I need, because my either my um, insurance won't cover it, or sometimes people just fall through the cracks when it comes to insurance, and they'll give it to you. They'll give you, as a matter of fact, we're trying to, um, Coordinate uh, donating or delivering a hospital bed to someone. This man, what is he? He's uh, what I understand. He needs a hospital bed, uh, hospital bed, bed pretty bad. So we're trying to do that within the next few weeks or next week to so we can deliver it to him. Uh, because sometimes if you call a delivery company, they want to charge you an arm and a leg to deliver it. So that's how it's cost, it's cost, cost efficient or prohibitive. So that's why we, people like us try to reach out there and see if we can help them. Hey, even though I'm blind, I'll try to load that hospital bed in the truck. I have no You're amazing, George. I have no problem. I load it in the, in the wrong Some truck. Some people that have uh, eyesight don't even bother trying to do stuff like that. They don't because they take it for granted until you, that person has a disability either by either by a disability, like a stroke, they fall down, car accident, they realize, oh my gosh, I'm, I have this limitation. Now what, what am I going to do? And all it is, folks, is just you have to learn to live with those limitations. Live, go beyond that. Find those techniques that help you go beyond that, and you'll be all right. 
life is not that bad. Trust me. I've I've seen stuff in my life that people that are very severe just have a disability, and you're like, wow, I feel fortunate, you know, because that person they had a massive stroke. Now they can't walk. They can't speak. Uh, they can't see. Um, so just take that into mind, folks. Like I said, just be a good Samaritan if you see someone out there in distress, even though they don't have a disability. Either homeless or something. I've done that. I've given food to people that are that are, that are homeless, and it's no five dollars here, five dollars there is not going to cost someone that much. You know, that person that you're giving it to, they're going to appreciate that. That might be the only meal they've had for three or four days. I had a man that used to come to my apartment, and I would, he was. I would ask him, "Have you eaten?" And I just met him by chance, waiting for the bus one day, and I wasn't scared. I mean, I really wasn't. And people would say, "Aren't you afraid he might do this?" And he was a sweet man. But I would sometimes he would come to the house. He's like, I haven't eaten in four days. You know what? Let's go to Wendy's. I'll take you to Wendy's. Buy the dollar menu, the dollar burgers. And that's what I'm saying. Just be a good Samaritan. Like uh, Alan DeGeneres says, just be good to everyone else. You know, that's all it is. But uh, so hopefully next week we'll have that interview with uh, Miss Martha Chu. If you ever want to be on the show, your, your program or your agency, just let me know. Guys, reach out to 915-832-1200. Or even email Mr. Abel here, Abel at dialogueep.com, which is D-I-A-L-O-G-E-P.com. Um, he also wants to reach out to the nonprofit sector, huh, Mr. Abel? Right. Uh, any nonprofit that wants to spread the news of what they do, their services, and uh, what kind of clientele they're looking for, we're more than happy to have you on the show to talk about it. Yep. And then I'll have you on the show. Um, I have a lot of more shows to fill out for this year, so I'm going to be going out there looking out. I think also I'm going to do the Paso Lung Association, um, was this month um, Project Amistad La Familia so we have we have things coming up and then of course don't forget folks February the 15th we're going to have Access 2018 with the congressional candidates for District 16 at the lunchbox or maybe not because we're getting a lot of interest in that February but the 15th February the 15th is going to be on Dialogue Radio Network yes uh, we have so far we have confirmed uh, Dorian Finnbach is that how the way they say it? Finnbach Finnbach how is uh, who's John, already running commercials by the way Oh, is she? Yeah. John Carillo, uh, Veronica Escobar, uh, Jerome Tillman, and, of course, Norma Chavez. And we have two more folks on the Republican side. So we have reached out to them. We haven't responded yet. And this is uh, in collaboration with United Advocacy of El Paso with uh, the Leadership and Advocacy Institute of, of, or I'm sorry, El Paso Leadership and Advocacy Institute. So hopefully we'll have a good turnout. Last year we had an awesome turnout. So hopefully this year we'll have it. Now, the lunchbox may be in question because of the size. I've got a, we've gotten a lot of good interest uh, response. So right. we might have to move it because of the size, which is good. And that's what we want. Uh, so again, always- Well, I mean, we understand that this is the, the midterm elections. There's a congressional seat on the line. And, you know, we, we need to give it uh, its proper due. I mean, it's, it's a big seat. We need good leadership in there. Once again, hashtag voter revolution on anything you, you do. Did you already get your voter uh, registration card? I got mine. That seems so, yeah. yeah. I got mine. Why, why don't you, you know, put it, uh, put it on the Facebook page at Dialogue Internet Radio and show us that you're ready to uh, use your bullet, as I like to call it. You know, I heard, one time I heard Barack Obama when he was uh, campaigning for Hillary Clinton, people were, he would mention our president. He would say Trump and they're, boo. He's like, you know what? Don't boo. Vote. Same thing with this. <laughs> Don't That's boo. a good point. Don't yeah. boo. Vote. Yeah. Boo. Yeah. And the thing with that was for person with disability, when it comes to Congress, that's very essential because they vote on Medicaid, Medicare, all these services that impact us. 
How did you know? And this? they're trying to change all these services right now, you know, yeah. and make them less effective. Uh, you know, that, that is just so unfair to people that have, you know, paid into the system and should qualify to get these programs. And they don't, you know, it just really, really, you know, can even include Social Security in there if you want. And, and what's funny is like my mom, she paid about 30 years into the system, 35 years. And when it came time, the time for her to meet it, at first, they they, uh, they denied her. But thankfully, we had a, a good advocate, a community advocate, which is a sponsor of the show, Stephanie Townsend Ayala, stepped in. And guess what? My mom got approved for Medicaid, but she had to fight for it. It wasn't given to her. She had to fight for it. And that's, uh, that's one thing that, you know, people don't realize that Medicaid, Medicare, all these programs help people with disabilities be more inclusive into society. Did you know, Abel, that the CHIP program has not been funded in the past six months? Yeah, they're using it as a hostage tool so along, you, have, uh, uh, you know, with a, along with the, the wall. You want your dreamers to dream on, yep. but not in Mexico, in the United States? Uh, give me my wall. That's sad. Give me my wall. You want support for your kids? Give me my wall. Give me my wall. And that's sad that you, they, they're using that as a tool to get what they want. And that's scary. That really, And that's, I heard your show earlier, Abel, and you were making a lot of good points. And I encourage people to call in or listen to your show, Abel, because you do give a lot of good points in politics. Um, unfortunately, we had a, a, a <laughs> an episode this past week with uh, President Trump that was a, that remark he made, but that was that's neither here or there. But, but the point is, you mean shithole? Yes, thank you for saying that. I didn't say that. So the thing is, it's, it's unfortunate, and he's also you just, know some people are a holes, and that usually means they have an s hole. Yep. And the thing is, and the thing about Trump, that's kind of weird. That was Trump. He at one point, which is documented, we spoke about it. He actually made fun of a reporter that had a disability. Oh yeah, not only made fun of him, was going. And and what kind of crap is that? I'm just that I mean, schoolyard crap. That's a big I, bully. That's that's the guy I want for my president. That's a bully, and, that, and you know what? And that's indicative of, of some people that they'll make. Like I was going back to the original story we were talking about what happened in Maryland. Just that perception. Someone right. has a disability. They oh, they either make fun of them or they're stupid or nobody cares about them. Who cares? And that's the thing that they have to understand that once it comes back. And they hear about it, it does. So you've been listening to the Accessibility Corner here on Dialogue Radio Network, brought to you by Stephanie Townsend, Ayala, and Associates. And we'll see everyone next week, and I'll catch everyone on the rebound.